The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34. And you can find it in our pub Bibles and page 871. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told, and he told them a parable, saying, The love of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to start my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will, te- I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, not about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, what are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, arrayed like one of, the, of this. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you a little fade? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows what you need them, that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The word of the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's play a game and pretend that you have two things, a time machine and a checkbook. Time machine and a checkbook, and we're going to go all the way back to 1980. I'm not sure what the good music is back then. Uh, We're going to go back to 1980, and here's the game. You have to put all your money in one stock, okay? All your money in one stock, and I'm going to give you two choices. Choice number one is an airline, and they're looking to buy other airlines. They're looking to expand. And you know what? My dad actually worked for this airline. And choice number two is this upstart tech company. They make these big, fat, ugly computers uh, named after a fruit. (laughs) Okay? Choice number one was Air Florida. And as my father landed his last flight, he found out uh, they went out of business, tried to cash his check, and it bounced. So if you chose to put all your stock in Air Florida, you lost everything. The second one is, you can guess, Apple. And man, if you bought all that stock in 1980, wow, okay? (laughs) Somebody figure out how to build that time machine real quick, okay? Well, why do I start like that? 
Well, I, I think Jesus today from this text wants to talk to you about investing. It's about investing. And that little illustration shows you that the choice you make on what stock you're buying, what you invest in, it's going to have serious implications for your life. One stock Jesus is going to tell us about today, you'll end up worse than bankrupt. You'll lose everything. The other stock, if you invest in this slowly but surely, literally, you'll be happy forever. It couldn't be more extreme in this passage between nothing and everything. And it's all about what you're investing in, the stock you're buying. And really, I don't, I don't think it would be wrong to say that every moment you're buying a stock, if you will, with your life. Every moment you're investing in something. You're investing in a future. Every thought, word, deed, action, implication, just what you're, what you're, what you're burning your wheels about what you're spending your time on, what you're giving your energy to, that's an investment. And you get one life to do it, and in the end, Jesus says, we, we see how our stock did. Are you buying the right stock? And stock is about happiness, isn't it? Investment, isn't it about happiness? Why, do, why would we do such a thing? Well, there's this weird delayed gratification, right, where I'm gonna not in not just live for right now, I'm gonna take some resources somehow and put it into something else, and what's the hope and dream? That's gonna grow, and in the end, I'm gonna receive a, a, a reward, a blessing, goodness, and that's gonna be satisfying and happy and give me security and meaning and identity and resources, and that's why we invest. It's about happiness. It's about the good life. So let me just, just take 30 seconds and interview yourself. Ask yourself this, how do I envision what the good life is? What is the good life to you? If I just had, interview yourself, look at uh, your kind of, your afternoon mental fantasies. If I just had, what would it be? What do you want? What do you feel like would make you happy? What are you stressing about? What's on your mind? What are you worried about? What? What's the good life you feel you don't have? And uh, I'll be honest, okay? Honesty time. I'm never lying to you, but sometimes I'm more honest than usual. I'll be honest. Sometimes I think, you know what? If I just had a little more money, and I wouldn't have to stress about stuff, and I could just enjoy the good life with the people I love, so here's my little uh, informal survey. Anybody else ever had that thought? Okay. Right. And the rest of you, we don't trust you. Okay. <laughs> we don't trust you. Doesn't that seem nice? Wouldn't that just be it? I'm not out to like lie or cheat or steal. Just have a little more so I could, so I could have a sense of security, know I had enough. I could enjoy the good life with people that I love the most. Huh, so we're going through Luke's gospel. And uh, last few weeks, uh, Jesus has been giving us kind of punchy truth, real heavy spiritual stuff. He, um, he confronted self-righteous, moral, religious people who wouldn't trust him as Lord and as Savior. He confronted them. Uh, last week, we, we saw the importance of acknowledging him as our Lord even when we face pressure or fear. So all these crowds, Luke tells us, are just, they're swamping him. And he's given this punchy, deep, heavy theological truth. And then there seems to be this kind of strange interruption out of nowhere where this guy seems to yell up at him. Look at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, and what does this guy want? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So what's going on in this guy? He obviously has a disagreement with his brother over money. Okay? Disagreement with his brother over money. Have you ever seen this before? Family feuds over money? It is nasty business. It happens all the time. It is nasty business. And this guy thinks, give me some of this money. I deserve it for whatever reason. 
And you know, in that day and age, it wouldn't be unusual to go to a rabbi to help you solve this kind of problem. So, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But what's funny is, as you read the context of Luke and where we've been going, it seems to come out of nowhere. It, it doesn't have anything to do with what's been going on. And it just kind of landed on me. This guy's part of the crowd. He's listened to Jesus talk and all the information about his heart and about salvation and about humility and about love for Jesus. It's all just going, Vzzah! okay? It's, it's like BBs off concrete, ting, because he is obsessed. He's totally focused in on one thing. And you know what it is? It's that money. It's that money. Wow. I mean, it, it owns him to the point where, I mean, most likely his brother is there in the crowd. Okay, this is not an email kind of place. This is, hey, before this crowd, tell my brother to give me the money. So, so he wants money so bad he will shame and embarrass his brother in front of the crowd. Not only that, but he will actually say to Jesus, and if you look at the language of this, this is an imperative. This is a command. Jesus, do what I'm telling you to do and get me my money. So that's kind of like, that's kind of bold, you know, when you're telling Jesus what to do. Give me the money. And so you see what's, what's grabbing him, what owns him, what consumes him. He thinks, right, his heart thinks, if I had this and I deserve it, and you know what, he might. He might deserve it. He might be right. But he's thinking, if I just had this, then I'd have what I need. This is what I need. This is is what I need. Wow. So Jesus is gonna use then this moment as a teaching tool regarding one of the most important aspects of your life, four. And so we're gonna hear Jesus talk to two kinds of people and address three attitudes of the heart. Two kinds of people, three attitudes of the heart. So the first kind of person we're gonna to talk to is Jesus is gonna give a warning to the fool. A warning to the fool. So we want to learn from that and not be fools, right? So he's gonna give a warning to the fool and I'll, just, I'll go ahead and admit to you, I, I struggle with this, as, this foolish aspect of the heart. I have it. I think you might see it a little bit in yourself too as we look through it. But it's gonna be a warning to the fool. Don't, don't be this guy. But then he's gonna address another kind of person. It's his disciples. It's those who follow him. And then we're gonna see two more attitudes of the heart. One is, those who are distracted and full of anxiety. And that's where I should be like, amen. Or you guys should be like that. Anybody like, amen, okay, yes, amen. yes. You're full of anxiety. And then that other attitude of the heart is encouragement for your satisfaction. So it's so amazing that in the midst of all this warning and this reminder, Jesus wants to take you to a place of deep satisfaction and happiness. So if you want to be, this is what's so amazing. You get to hear the words of Jesus Christ, and he is telling you, it's an invitation to you, I want you to be without anxiety and satisfied, happy forever. You can have it. You want to invest in this stock? You want to buy it? Come on and have it. So let's begin. Warning, reminders, encouragement. First of all, a warning. Well, we heard the guy say, hey, tell, tell my brother to get, divide the inheritance with me. Look at Jesus' response in verse 14. He said, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? What are you supposed to do with that? Uh, first of all, it is, uh, in the Greek, it is, it is a rough, it's an abrupt, like, get out of my face. It, it's not a, oh, tell me more about how you feel. Um, it's, a, it's a rebuttal. Um, and, and here's what's going on, first of all. Jesus is not down with being used for money. So let's just park the bus here for a little bit, okay? Any pastor who uses the name of Jesus to try to get more money, 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 money from the poor and the needy, Jesus is not happy about that, okay? He is not into that. 
Let me tell you more about Jesus. He does not like to be the middleman. The middleman. So when you come to Jesus, this is the way it works. When you come to Jesus, you want to say, Jesus, what I really want most of all is you. I want you. Now, can you come to Jesus with all your needs and ask him to provide? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you come to Jesus with the problems of your life and, and ask him to help you and give you wisdom and comfort you? Absolutely. When you're sick, can you come to Jesus and ask for healing? Yes. When you're concerned about this or that or the other thing, can you bring it to the Lord and ask him for help? Yes, yes, and yes. He's so good and he's so kind. But Jesus will never settle for being the middleman to take you to your functional God that you want more. He does not play that game. He's Lord or he's nothing. And so we remember what Jesus will say later in Luke 16, 13. Look at this. Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. For he'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then look at how he summarizes it. You cannot serve, what? God and money. Pick one. Pick one. Because here's how the heart works. You'll either serve God and use money for his purposes, or you will serve money and use God for your purposes. And Jesus is not into that second option. He's not a middleman. So then Jesus says, you know, in this question, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? So it's this kind of, okay, so you're coming to me because I have authority to give you this money. Why aren't you listening to what I'm saying about the heart and to, about who I am and about what life is for? Am I your authority? So are, if you're coming to me for, for money, then are you also willing to come to me for your sin problem, your alienation with God, your sense of meaning in life, the authority of what life is about? Are, am I your authority or am I not? Am I king or am I not? And then he warns the crowd. Look what he says in verse 15. And he said to them, take care. So this is a warning for all of us. And what does he warn us about? Take care and be on your guard against all, what? Covetousness. Covetousness. That's one of those 10 commandments where you're like, it's not that big of a deal command, you know? Isn't that right? I mean, come on, would you, wouldn't you rather be a coveter than a murderer? It's, it's a small sin, right, to covet? Man, what does it mean to covet? To covet is uh, an over-desire. And this is what makes it so tricky. It's an over-desire. You take something that's good, and you make it everything. And in doing so, you take the one who is everything and demote him down to just good. There's a trade when you covet. So don't hear me saying like money is bad. Does anybody actually think money is not bad? You'll hear people say money is the root of all evil. That is not true. That's not in the Bible. Um, money is good. Money is a vehicle for love. Uh, try this on. Try to love someone constantly throughout your life and never use money in doing so. Won't be able to do it. It's a vehicle for love. Money is not bad. But when we, take, when, we, when we live for money, what have we done? We've taken this good thing and we've made it an ultimate thing and everything. That's what I have to have this. And then we've taken the only one who is the ultimate everything, God himself, and, and moved him down a peg. Yeah, God, you're nice, but what I really need is money. It's got to be the opposite. Yeah, money, you're nice, but what I really need is God. And so he says, be on your guard against all covetousness. I need to hear this. Do you need to hear this? Anybody watch football today? Uh, well, I am, okay? I am. And then guess what they're going to give me in between uh, all the football plays going on? Commercials. And what are all those about? I won't be happy unless I have thus and so. And what are they stirring up in me a little bit? Covetousness, okay? Again, not necessarily. It's not, 
it's not bad to need a new car and want a nice car. But if you say, oh, that's everything to me and I can't be happy without it, hmm. Be on your guard against covetousness. Here's the reason covetousness is not a little sin that you don't need to worry about. Here's why it's dangerous. Look at Colossians 3.5. Colossians 3.5. So Paul's talking to Christians here, the Apostle Paul, and he says, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and what? Covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry? Isn't that where you bow down before like a silver statue and you... No, man, idolatry is in the heart, okay? Idolatry is when you worship something that's not God like it's God, and you don't worship the one who is God as if he's not God. And covetousness, that over-desire, I have to have this to be someone, to have security, to have happiness. I have to have it. I must have it. If that's not Jesus Christ, if you got something else there, that's idolatry. That's why you need to be on guard against it. It's a big deal. And what does this guy in the crowd love? What does he need? I need that money. Can't hear anything else Jesus is saying. He can't hear it. Can't respond to it. I need that money, Jesus. Give me that money, Jesus. I need you to give me that money, Jesus. Be on your guard, man. You got a fake God. Here's what's ironic. We're in first century Israel. Is this guy some, uh, you know, atheist witch doctor thing? Is that what this guy's like, probably? No, this guy is a religious, moral person. Externally, he goes to synagogue. He could quote the Bible to you. And that's why it's scary, because what's his, what's his uh, public theology? I love God. I know the Bible. I'm a good person. And what's his practical, actual, internal theology of his heart as shown by his habits? I love money. So it's dangerous. Be on your guard, right? What's your outward practical theology? This is what I believe. This is what I love. This is what I care about. What's the inward, real theology of your heart that echoes out in your habits? Who do you love? What do you love? What stock are you buying? Then Jesus tells the story, verse 16, tells a parable saying, the land of a man, rich man, produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and then I'll store all my grain and all my goods, and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, what's funny about this story is that if you weren't careful, you'd be like, ooh, I wish that would happen to me. You know, um, I think the guy listening to it in the crowd is like, Jesus, give me my brother's money. As Jesus tells this parable, that guy's just drooling, you know. Oh, yes. If only that were me. I mean, think of this story. The guy's not being a bad person explicitly. What happened? His business is just exploding. His fields are popping with crops. And he's got a conundrum. Jesus is so clever here. He, he, pre, he presents this guy as a, as a really wise investor, okay? So he's got this land pumping out these crops. He doesn't want to build more barns because that covers up the land and that gets you less crops. Hmm. So what he does is, oh, I'll build new barns, bigger, taller, so I can save the rest of the land to keep pumping out the crops and now that I can put more resources in the barn, I won't be throwing them out into the market. Because if I flood the market with more grain, guess what happens to my cost of grain? It goes lower. So now, oh, he says, now I've got more resources in my bigger barn, and I'm in control of what hits the market. I can keep the price where I want it and have more than I ever had. Bam. And look at verse 19. It's, our, it's the American dream, guys. Verse 19. I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample good laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I am slayed right here. Because don't you want this? Come on. Ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Oh, yeah. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, what? One word. 
You're a moron. <laughs> You're an idiot. You bought the wrong stock. You don't get it. Is that deserved? That's a, such an interesting parable. Now, you, you remember as, you, as we thought through this guy's you know, internal thought process, who was in there? Did you notice who was in his internal thought process? This guy sounds like a politician. I, me, me, I, me, I, 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 me, 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 I, me, me. Did you hear that? Did anybody else come into this conversation? I wonder what my wife would think, or what about the workers who work my field, or, hmm, the, uh, I should talk to my friend, or, oh, I could help them, or, or God. Did you see God in any of this? Was he there? What's this man all about? Himself? Does he care about others in this thought process? They're not there, although I'm assuming they work on his fields. I don't think he's out there digging ditches. Uh-uh. Okay? Where's the, hey, what a bonus. I'm going to give it to my workers. Or where's the, hey, I got so much food I could feed the poor and not even feel it. Where is it? It's not there. It's got no love of God, no love for others. What do you call that? It's a fool. And Jesus, and God says to him, fool, verse 20, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So this guy was a great investor. He bought all the right stock for this life, but he's a fool because he forgot something. What did he forget? He's going to stand before God. That's what he forgot. He forgot God. And that's, that's not wise. That's not wise. And so now he's going to stand before God. And he had all this wealth, but his, what's his wealth going to be for him when he stands before God? What's it going to be? It's just, it's lost. And what does he have now to show, hey, God, I was yours. I trusted you. You saved me. I believed you. I loved you. I loved my neighbor. What does he have to show? He's got nothing to show. That's why he's a fool. Hmm. Look at 1 Timothy 6.9. Paul writes this to Timothy to help him help a church. 1 Timothy 6.9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And here's that familiar idea, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So is it money itself that's evil? No. If you read later in the letter, it's not even evil to be rich. You guys, it is not evil to be rich. The Bible never says that. What's evil is the love of money. And the, I love the illustration. You pierce yourself with many sufferings. Are you seeing this? You're like, money will make me happy. Just grab a knife and keep pounding it into your chest. But money, it really will make me happy. Do you, do you see the irony here? I'll be all together. No, it won't. It won't make you happy. So what do we do this? What do we do with point one? If you respect Jesus, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. What do you want to have in your mind and your heart and your thoughts as you live your life, as you choose where to invest? Don't, don't just listen to kind of the, the echo of our culture pushing you on, if you had this, you would be something, or you would, you'd finally make it. If you just had enough, it would, be, it would be good, and you'd be you, and if you could just have enough to not worry anymore, you know, it's, it's, a, just, it's a lie. It's a lie. Don't buy it. Don't swallow it. You know, what's funny is, um, I think if you looked at the lifestyle of the richest person in Jesus' original audience, and what they have, other than maybe their property, that would be intriguing to me, I don't think you'd trade with them. Now, one of the people in Jesus' audience have refrigeration and running water. Isn't that amazing? And so they would say, oh, if I just had what you had, I'd be happy. I'd be satisfied. And you might say, well, I've tried it, and actually, if I just had what they had, I'd be happy. And then you read some stories about the rich and famous hating themselves, and they're going, I'm not happy. Are you convinced yet? It's the wrong stock. Let's look at the 
distracted person. Look at verse 22. He says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Now, this is the easy point in the sermon because I don't even think I have to describe to you what anxiety with money is about. Do I have to even talk about that? This like just comes naturally. You know, I'm like, we're anxious about money. We're like, yes, we are. Amen. What's funny is Jesus is just like, don't be anxious. Is there a pill for that, you know? How? Don't be anxious about financial things. Just don't. Oh, okay. <sighs> don't be anxious. Jesus thinks we've forgotten some things when we're anxious. Now let's go ahead and say, hey, there's a line between being anxious and being responsible. Okay? This doesn't mean, hey, I'm just going to read my Bible and not go to work anymore because I don't want to be anxious. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. Um, it doesn't mean don't ever save. It doesn't mean don't budget. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean any of those things. The Bible's saying the, the wise person does all those things. Anxiety is a little different. It's this, uh, you're, you're meditating on the worst case scenario, and, and, um, and you think you're in control, and that mixture of those things, because you know you're out of control, um, starts to wreck you and, you, and you start to meditate, and so you're swimming in this, it's not going to work, it's not going to be okay, I'm not going to be enough, it's, it's not going to provide, it's, it's not, and it, right, ruins us. Jesus says you've forgotten some things. I love verse 24. What's that first word in verse 24? Consider. He's going to use this word again, consider. And this word's kind of a heavy word. It's like, hold up, stop, stop the rails for a second, stop the traffic, suck on this for a moment. Just stay right here for a moment. Think about this with me. And I love this about Jesus because he just, he pulls out just the things that seem like nothing. You know, so I, we got to go to Yellowstone this summer. Okay, and if I see an eagle flying, I'm like, consider, you know. Wow. How do you feel when you see a crow? <laughs> you feel like you're getting gypped, you know? I didn't drive all the way up here to see crows. I want eagles. Jesus said the ravens, the crows, the rats with wings. Consider them. So stop. Stop for a minute. In the midst of all your concerns, all your concerns about, are you going to have enough? Is it going to be enough? Are you going to be okay? Just stop. Think about the birds. They don't have storehouse or barn. What does God do? What's he do? He feeds them. He feeds them. Somehow we're so blind to all the way God has provided for us from the first moment of our existence. Has God provided for you? Over and over and over and over and over again. Have you had enough to eat? Have you had a place to live? Has he provided for you? Is he still providing for you? Just consider, he's actually been really good at providing for you. Consider them. Then verse 27, he does it again. Consider the lilies. That one's a little easier. You get your camera out. Anybody like photography? Go look for some nice flowers. Consider them. How do they look? Boy, you ever just looked into the depth of a flower and the layers of color and beauty, lavishness? Jesus says, man, Solomon couldn't even keep up with that. Most famous, richest king ever, he couldn't keep up with that. Consider the lily. What are you supposed to learn from the lily? Look at verse 28. If God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he what? Clothe you. Do you see God's generosity and faithfulness? Do you see it? He's always caring for his creation all the time. And you're so much more valuable than a raven. You're so much more valuable than a flower. You know what we've forgotten? He calls his disciples here, oh, you of little, did you see it? Faith. He calls his disciples, you in the midst of all your anxiety, you're meditating on these, these things that might happen or could happen, how it's not going to be enough, and that, that has overtaken your meditation on me and who I am. You've forgotten how generous I am in providing. You forgot me. Anxiety is a symptom of a functional atheism. 
It's a symptom of a functional, God's not there, he's not gonna care for you. Stop, just consider, consider. We forgot something about God, he wants to remind us God is generous, God provides, and you're so valuable to God. James 1.17 says, every good thing, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Every good meal you ever had, every warm, cozy moment, the clothes you're wearing, God's been providing for you. Don't forget that. But also, Jesus says, don't forget how weak you are. Does that sound ironic? He wants to heal your anxiety. And then he says, don't forget how weak you are. And I, don't you kind of want him to be like, pump you up? You can do it. Don't be anxious, you can do it. He actually says, don't be anxious, you can't do it. (laughs) Verse 25, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? (laughs) I love this next sentence. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? That's just incredible. That's incredible. You know, we, uh, should, we, should, we, should we work out a little bit? Should we eat sort of healthy? Should we try to be the best we can be for the Lord? Yeah. Can you add an hour to God's sovereign plan for your life? Guess what? When he calls on the phone, you'll be dead, right? You, and Jesus calls it a small thing. I think that's what's so funny. It's easy to add an hour to your life, but you can't do it, Okay. <laughs> You can't do it. And so here's the thing with this anxiety, because with anxiety, we, f- we get the sense that we're supposed to be in control, and that's why we're so worried. Because I'm supposed to be in control, and yet I'm not in control. Ah! Okay? And so you've forgotten the one who's good and who's in control. And listen, you can exercise, eat well, everything else, invest, invest all you want. God's still sovereign over your life. He's still sovereign over your life. You can't add one span, you can't add one moment to it. So, so go ahead and give up on your sense. Give up. Sell that stock. That's bad stock. Get rid of it. And if you're gonna trust me a little bit, trust me all the way. Trust me all the way. You're so weak. I'm so strong. Just trust me all the way. Just go ahead and embrace it like this. God, you're so good that even if you want me to go through this hard time, you'll be enough for me. I can do it. God, you're so good that even if you take me early, you can take, from, you can take care of my kids. Child, the way Zeke trusts me, right? He thinks I'm a Greek demigod. He thinks I can do anything. I can't, but he trusts me like that. You're supposed to trust your father like that because he is God of gods. Trust him. Trust him. Remember how weak you are. One more thing to remember. Remember just who you are. If you trust Jesus Christ, Remember who you are. Verse 23, this life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Our Western materialism wants you to think you're somebody if you have enough in the bank, if you live in a certain kind of a house, if you wear a certain kind of clothes, that that actually points to who you are. It doesn't. It doesn't. As my friend from Texas would say, you can put lipstick on a pig. Still a pig. You could put poverty... You could put poverty on a child of God, and that is still a child of God who's going to inherit the kingdom. Okay? It's not who you are. It's not your life. Be set free. That is not your life. It's not who you are. I love what he says in verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Now, pause. Again, is he saying, don't go to the grocery store and buy food for your kids? Just wait for heavenly miracle. Come on, no. Seek means, what's the stock you're buying with your life? What are you living for? What are you all about? What are you focused on? What owns you? What grabs you? Don't live for these material things. As he's going to say later, seek the kingdom. Live for that. Look at verse 30. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your what? Keyword. Your father knows you need them. Folks, if you've seen who Jesus is, the Son of God, can you put on flesh for you and live a perfect life, pleasing the Father that you never lived? If you've seen, if you know the truth, he died on the cross for your sins. 
and you're saying, I need that. Jesus, I'm, I'm done with ruling myself. You be my king. Forgive me. Save me. Let me belong to you. If you trust that, if you know he rose from the dead and you're just saying, take my life. Let me follow you. The Bible wants to tell you, if that's true for you, you are a child of God. He is your father. And you're in a different family now. And you don't need to be the way the rest of the world is. You have, you have an inheritance you can't even begin to imagine. Your father's kingdom, and he knows what you need. Remember who you are. Sometimes we say it to our kids and we drop them off. We're going to say it more. Remember who you are. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Are you just one more of the millions of people trying to scratch a survival and you hope the cards fall for you rightly and you're on your own? Is that who you are? Then you'll have to put all your stock in this world. That's what you'll have to do. You won't have a choice. But if you know, no, 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 no. The Father's adopted me. I'm going to inherit his kingdom forever. I got a family of God in the faith. I live for him. He's my satisfaction. That's who I am. You'll be buying different stock. And you'll be happier. Because look at this encouragement. Be happy, people. Verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom. What's that mean? Let's just break it down and make it real simple. Who's king? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. So if he's king of your life, what's that mean for your mind and your heart? You love him. You're, you're impressed by who he is. Uh, you want to please him and how you think and, and what you love and how you feel. He's your king. So the kingdom of God comes first in hearts and minds. Is Jesus king in you? And for me, it's like, not perfectly, but, but yeah. Not at all perfectly, but yeah, he's my king. So if you seek the kingdom, then you want to be faithful to him and in love with him and following him. And not only that, but you want to see the, the echo and fruit of his kingdom out in the world, right? You want to see him known by others. You want to see his love experienced by others. And so this driving passion for your life here will be, is Jesus' kingdom echoing out? Are people knowing his love in, in and through me and what I'm a part of? Seek the kingdom. So does that mean quit your job and read the Bible? No, it means read the Bible and make your job an echo of his kingdom. Seek the kingdom in everything. And then Jesus says, all these things will be added to you. You'll have what you need materially. And do you believe that? Has a Christian ever starved to death in a prison? Yeah, for sure. Christian ever died alone from cancer somewhere in a hole? Yeah, uh-huh. Are the Christians right now, I've been so blessed to travel and meet with them who are meeting in a mud hut right now and have no health care. Yeah? Will the Father give them what they need? There's really important ways to see you what you need. Look at Philippians 4. Okay, if you, if you watch sports, you know, I used to do this when I was in Little League. I wasn't a good hitter. And so I'd be like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> oh, God. I feel like you should hit a home run when you say that. I can do all things through Christ. I can, I can get rich. <laughs> Look at Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Paul writes this from prison. He's in prison. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. Circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And now here it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I need to be hungry and poor and left alone for the kingdom, I can do that. He'll give me strength. 
If I'm eating a big meal with my brothers and sisters in Christ and raising up the glass and saying, here's to the goodness of the Lord, I can do that too. Because <laughs> in the end, this is nice. It's not my life. It's not my stock. Christ is. So I can enjoy the good gifts he gives, but I don't live for them, Paul would say. I don't need them. I'm seeking the kingdom. Look at verse 32. I love this. Look what Jesus says. Fear not, little flock. <laughs> That's so nice. Because we're afraid, right? I'm not going to have enough. I'm scared. This world's scary. Jesus, you're scary. <laughs> you're pushing me here. Fear not. What does he call you? Little flock. You just imagine this little, little white lamb. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, the Christian life is so much of like, I know, but I don't know. Do you know God loves you? Yeah, but do you really know God loves you? Do you know you're going to inherit the kingdom? Yeah, I know, but do you really know it really? It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Is he, a, is he a miserly God or is he a generous God? He's a generous God. He is inviting you to share in his happiness and to live for what the world is all about. And he knows you're tempted by, actually, I need money. He's like, no, man. Wrong stock. Don't be a fool. Remember. Remember me. Remember who you are. And seek the kingdom. And trust me that when it gets rough and when it gets hard, by the way, it would be rough and hard even if you live for money. And you will still die. When it gets rough and hard when you're living for the kingdom, remember, I'll be enough for you. I'll be enough for you. And one day we will sit at the table together in the kingdom, drenched with his explicit goodness. Don't be afraid, little flock. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom isn't that wonderful? Let's remember how we got into the kingdom in the first place. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, there he is kicking it, Holy Trinity, all eternity, God of God. Yet for our, your sake he became Take on flesh, born through a birth canal, in a stable, humble, poor, mocked, slaughtered. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, paying for your sins on the cross, so that you might become rich. Is this money, money rich? No, 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 no. This is belonging to him rich. You're rich, church. You trust Jesus, you're rich. You're forgiven. You have the Lord Jesus. You have the Father in heaven. So now you're ready for verse 33. Because your future is secure, because you have millions of shares in the greatest stock the universe will ever know, because you have more than you can imagine in Christ, verse 33, now you're ready for it. You ready? Go ahead and read it with me, just the first sentence. So you know I'm not making it up. Verse 33, here we go. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. I'll continue. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches. No, That's a little bit of a test, right? How do you know you love the kingdom more than money? There is a test. You will use some of your money for the kingdom. You will use some of your money for the kingdom. How much, Pastor Matt? What are you saying? I don't know. Depends on your situation. Depends on your story. If you want to talk about that, I'd love to talk about it with you. I'm not, with you, I'm not going to give you a law or a rule. But here's Jesus' test, right? You ought to give enough to where it hurts. And give to the kingdom. Love for neighbor. Giving to the poor. Like What, what have we been through a little bit here the last few months at Fountain of Life? International Justice Mission. We're giving some money to help with sex slavery. World orphans, we got a trip going out there. We give some money to help 
orphans in Haiti, or uh, our, our missions agency in India. We're giving money to help the church grow in a place where there are no Christians. Things like that. We give some to spread the kingdom. Could we do other things with that money? Could I do other things with my money? Could you do other things with your money? Yeah, I could put all my eggs in the, ba- in the basket of the stock of this world, and guess what I would be? A fool. Or I can take it on the chin a little bit. It's up to you how. But you can't have everything everybody else has. Your kids can't do everything everybody else's kids do. You can't drive everything everybody else is driving. You can't wear everything everybody else is wearing. In some way, that standard of living, of living for this world, goes down so that investing in the kingdom can go up. It could be time. It could be your leadership. So don't hear me you know, begging for you to give money to our church. I am not doing that. If you feel like I'm doing that, don't give us a cent. I don't want it. I want you to hear the words of Jesus saying, what stock are you buying? When you stand before me, are you gonna have something? So here's the steps. Number one, if you don't know Jesus like this, just receive the love of what he's done. He lived a perfect life for you to make you right with God who's holy. He died on the cross for all your sins. He rose from the dead. Just trust him as a gift of God, a total gift. You'll be adopted as a child of God. You'd be forgiven of all your sins. He became poor so that you could become rich. That's where we land this plane. Just trust that, believe that. No, you're going to start to have a heart of love for his kingdom, right? And you're going to want, start to want to buy shares in that stock, investing in the kingdom. Because did you see what he says? What can't get to your heavenly stock? Moth and rust. It's love. You want stock that's going to make you happy forever? Don't buy it in this world. Buy it in the next. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.